All right, well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Um, we're going to uh, continue where we left off um, a little bit ago, um, and uh, we're going to go back uh, to the book of James, um, as I uh, was talking about when we first started the, the study of the book of James. It's uh, a very important book uh, in Scripture, and not to say that any of them are not important, but uh, it's uh, got a lot of... Uh, uh, important doctrines for us uh, to understand. Um, it's got a lot of uh, principles that we need to apply to our lives, uh, and it has a, a, a real good direction about how a believer should be behaving, uh, regardless of whatever day and age it is in. Um, whether you're going through a period of time where things are peaceful or whether you're going through a time of uh, tribulation and temptations, uh, one way or another, God has an expectation of how we are to behave. And we're going to see that uh, tonight, uh, do a little bit of a kind of a recap, not a lot, but to kind of walk through a little bit what we've talked about already, uh, introduce uh, a new topic that is important about understanding with the theme of the book. And then we will uh, hopefully get uh, down through verse 8 today. I don't know if we'll get that far, but we'll give it a whirl. And we'll see how far we can go um, with the time that we have. But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time that we have. And I thank you again, Lord, that you've just uh, given us this uh, opportunity to be here and uh, be around other believers to, again, um, just to refresh one another and edify one another as well as we get to learn from you and uh, worship you by uh, hearing from your word and exactly what we need to do with our lives and how you uh, desire us to uh, behave and think and uh, have our heart fixed upon. And Lord, I just pray that uh, this evening you just be with me, you would uh, speak through me, set aside uh, flesh and thoughts and anything that uh, uh, Lord would just uh, not be honoring or pleasing unto you because that's what we want to do here tonight. We want to make sure you get all the glory and praise for everything that is done. And Lord, again, I just thank you uh, for the salvation that you've given to us. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit, your word, which you've uh, given to us. And uh, Lord, I pray that tonight we keep all those things in remembrance as we desire to know more about you. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's go ahead and start with verse 1, and it says in James 1, 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. And we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, letters being um, written to certain individuals or certain groups of people and uh, understanding that concept and why it's important. But he says here in verse 2, and this is James, again, who is Jewish in nature, uh, in his ethnicity, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patient, patience. But let the, patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let no man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So, when we started talking about this, we realized that, you know, when we introduced the book, we find that patience is one of the primary themes of the book. It's mentioned many, 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 many times. And we've talked about the necessity of patience in this life, the necessity of patience of waiting on the Lord, waiting on others, waiting for the Lord's timing and not rushing things or pushing our own agenda or our own timeline. But when we start looking at what uh, what James is talking about here and talking about, you know, waiting for the Lord to return, waiting for uh, what uh, um, is going to happen next, we, we find that, that, that it becomes critically important to realize how this impatience, how this patience is going to influence the way we think and what our heart is affected by. I mean, right here in the very first part here, he starts talking about joy during temptation. That's not always something that we think about. 
It's not something that we always equate. We go through some difficult times and some difficult trials and troubles and things of that nature. Joy isn't necessarily the first thing that comes to our mind. Let's just face it, we're, we're complainers. I mean, human beings are complainers. If you need a good example, go over to, uh, you know, the, the, the books of Exodus and, and, and Numbers and see how much the nation of Israel complained. Complained about God, complained about the food, complained about the water, complained about this, complained about that. I mean, murmuring left and right and all these things. And I dare say that we as human beings, we do the same thing. Most reviews are going to be complaints. Very few uh, reviews, uh, um, you know, are, are going to be positive reviews. Somebody might click, you know, say, hey, it's five stars, but they're not going to write a glowing review. But somebody will write a scathing review because they got upset, they got angry, they didn't like the way they were treated, whatever it may be, so on and so forth. They'll, they'll, they're more likely to do that than to say what was done right. And that, that, that again, that, that takes a mindset change. That takes a mindset change. Because again, we have to go back to being thankful. And I kind of digress with this, but, but here we, we were talking about letting patience have her perfect work. We need to let patience do its job. Not, 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 not force the issue. And, and again, here he talks about perfection. We talked a bit about perfection. And the perfection that we think is not necessarily the perfection that God thinks. And, and sometimes, you know, we sit there and we think, well, you know, I, I'll never be perfect. Well, Job was perfect. Well, I'm not Job. But then he gives a commandment that says, be ye perfect. Do we just throw that one out the window because we go, oh, I can't attain that? I was having a conversation with, um, Shelly May Massage Therapist the other day. <laughs> and we were, we were talking about, uh, human beings and how we limit ourselves. And he was making a comment if he said, you know, when, uh, uh, Michael Phelps started breaking all those records, people were like, man, that's amazing. Nobody ever thought that could be done. You realize that people have done better than Michael Phelps since then? You know what that means? He kind of, if you will, broke that barrier of what people thought was possible. I mean, you know, way, 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 way back in the, the day, people didn't think that it was possible to get, you know, a car up to 250 miles an hour. That it would just shake apart, that it would blow apart, that it wouldn't be, that it wasn't possible. And we've got people now just, you know, trying to figure out, can we get a car up to 300 miles an hour? First and foremost, I'm not willing to drive a car that goes 300 miles an hour. That's just, that's insane. You know, you've got these Bugattis that are doing 216 miles an hour. That, thanks, but no. I mean, you know, nice car. I'm sure it drives nice. You get on a straightaway. You can get on the, you can merge on the freeway pretty quickly. I'm not driving that car 216 miles an hour because I will become a vapor at the end of it. It's just not, just not going to do it. But people used to think that wasn't possible. People used to think, that, that uh, uh, you know, flying with airplanes, not possible, not possible. But again, we look at it today and what do we have? We have jets, we have planes, we have helicopters, we got all sorts of stuff. And they're talking about flying cars and all whatever, so on and so forth. People are always kind of limiting themselves. And I dare say that sometimes Christians limit themselves as to what they think is possible because we're still thinking in a human mindset. We're still thinking in the flesh. And this is where that double-mindedness comes in. And this is why it becomes so dangerous. Because we, we, we then are not fulfilling the complete will of God because we're limiting ourselves into thinking what we can and cannot do. I mean, we either believe that verse that says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, or we don't. So when we look at these principles that, that James is introducing to these, these believers, and again, I want you to understand who he's writing to. He's writing to a bunch of Jews that are, they've been scattered. They're not in their homeland. They're not where they were intended to be. 
They're in derision. They're all over the place. There's bad, bad things have happened to them, are happening to them when this is being written. And here he's saying, well, let's just be patient. Let's let God do what God's going to do. And let's have our faith in him. And let's be wise about this. Because that's where we started talking about. We started talking about if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, people will often misquote that verse, uh, asking ye shall receive, right? They take that and, 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 and they'll start asking for whatever it may be to fulfill their own lusts and to fulfill their own flesh. Now, he talks about that down here a little bit into verse 16, where he's talking about lust, and that's why sin comes into our life. And we'll get to that, uh, you know, as we move through this chapter. But one of the key things is, is when we ask, and sometimes the answer is no, do we ever stop and reflect, is that really the will of God that I just asked for? Is that something that God wants in my life? We go and we, we, we pray and we say, oh God, please let me win the, you know, the, the billion dollar. I hate, I even hate to say that billion dollar. When did it become a billion dollar lottery? Anyways, you know, Lord, let me win the billion dollar lottery. No, it's not his will. Why? Because then you'll become so dependent upon yourself rather than being dependent upon God. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, God did not create man independent. He created man dependent upon God. Because God was the one that made things grow, that provided the food for the man. And then when Eve was created, she got that food too. Both of them had to be dependent upon God. Not on one another, but on the Lord. That was created in perfection. No sin, no death, nothing bad. And when we realize that this is what God's intent is, is that we as human beings, God has created us in such a way that we would have that relationship with him. That we would desire it. Even psychologists today acknowledge there's something about the God center of the brain. They're always talking about it, and they they talk about it in hushed tones because they don't want to have to acknowledge that most people realize there's something bigger than themselves. There's something else that is missing in their life. So as we go through all of this, and we see in the verse, uh, we're going to get down here to verse uh, 6, this, when we begin to ask about the wisdom and we ask for wisdom in this life, and really, honestly, we have to be very serious about that verse five, where it says, if any of you lack wisdom, when we are self-examining, we're looking at ourselves. Now look, generally, for the most part, it's not good when we look upon ourselves and only ourselves and we're selfish, but it is good to be self-examining. See how that works is, is, is what's bad is, is when we concern ourselves with only ourselves and our only our wants and only our will and disregard others, don't have consideration for them, don't have consideration for the neighbor. And we first and foremost don't have consideration for God. There's a problem. There's a problem because God said, Jesus Christ himself said, those are the first and great commandments. First and the second. Those are, you know, love the Lord thy God and love your neighbor. Start there. Start there. So everybody wants to skip the first part and just go straight to the second part. That's humanism. They try to cut God out of it. You can't do the second without God. How are you going to get a, a, an Israeli and a Palestinian to love each other? Right now, I would say they're not loving each other. They're, they're just a wee bit angry at each other. How about, you know, Ukrainian and a Russian? 
You think they're the, the, that over there is just one big giant love fest and everybody's, you know, holding hands and singing kumbaya around the fire? No, they're blowing each other up. Why? Because they hate each other. Because they're lusting. That's why, you know, in chapter 4 he starts talking about that's why wars happen. When, when somebody tells me, you know, you're, you're, you're talking to them about salvation and they, they bring up this thing and they say, well, well, you know, what, 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 if God was real and God was, was so good, why does war exist? Hey, go over to James, James chapter four. And he says, uh, in verse one, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, ye have not because ye ask not. And he says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your, your lusts. God answers that. Why do wars exist? Because man wants something. And man's gonna take it any way he's gonna get it. That's why war exists. But what we see here is we see that when we ask in verse 6, it's supposed to be in faith. Now, if we go over to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, you know, the verse that, that clearly, if you will, defines what faith is. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The, what, what, what faith is about is faith is involving believing God at his word and obeying what he says to do. Because we believe God's word. I mean, that's what that's what Abraham did. God told Abraham, go. And Abraham said, well, yeah, okay, I believe you. You say you're going to make me a great nation, you're going to give me this land, okay. Did he ever see the fulfillment of the promise? Absolutely not. Did he see uh, his people as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea? No. How many kids did he have? The one child of promise, Isaac. There was some afterwards, and, and then there was the whole Ishmael mix-up, or error, or whatever you want to call that. But that was a lack of faith. But he saw one. Did Isaac see it? No, he had two sons. The promise was filled only in one, in Jacob. Did Jacob see it? He saw a larger part, but he didn't see all of it. He had 12 sons. But then, of course, it begins to grow thereafter. But those guys were long since dead when all of these promises began to be fulfilled. 400-something years later, they go into the promised land. Those promises were believed in faith, believing that God would do it, but that God would do it in his timing. God would do it the way that he wanted it done. And again, we look at it, what faith is, it's a substance, it's something that is absolutely, you know, if you will, substantial in our life. And it's evidential, as he talks about, with the evidence of things not seen. What we begin to understand is, we may not see everything that God is doing, but we have to, in faith, believe that God knows, or, or God is all wise and all knowing and is doing the right thing. That's a hard thing for us to do. So when he, when he says over back over there in the book of James, but let him ask in faith, when you're asking for wisdom, you have to ask in faith. And interestingly enough, how do you increase faith? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, it says over in Romans. The more that we are in the Bible itself, the more that we are studying it, the more that we are reading it, the more that we are meditating and contemplating and memorizing, and, and if you will, telling others about this book and what is contained therein, then we are going to have a greater understanding. It's going to lead to a wisdom with us. It's going to lead to a wisdom of the things of the world. I've sat through college biology classes where they sit there and talk about evolution as if it's fact. 
but yet they provide zero evidence other than some mathematical theories. They're asking me to believe it on faith. But there's no evidence. There's no higher authority. There is a, a documentary that was put out, and um, it was, it's called Expelled. It was done by Ben Stein. Um, if you ever get a chance to see it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, he, he, Ben Stein is Jewish. He's not a Christian. But he's Jewish, and he believes the Genesis account. Word for word, that it was created in six days and God rested on the seventh. He believes it. Doesn't believe in the, the age thing where one day was an age of a billion, trillion, whatever years. Or No, he doesn't believe any of that. And he was talking about how individuals that speak up and say, there's evidence that shows that there is a creator. There's evidence that is contrary to the stuff that is in these mathematical theories. What happens? They're slowly silenced and they're pushed out of the education system. So it's a documentary talking about that. But I just remember at one point in time, uh, he was that in a series of some of these documentaries about it, there's a guy that was talking about, like, well, where did life come from? And this guy said, well, life hitched right on the back of a crystal that flew into our galaxy. This guy is serious as a heart attack, and he is a well-respected, well-tenured professor, scientist. And he says, no, okay, so explain to me, how did it hitch a ride on the back of it? What type of form was it? And he goes, well, you didn't hear me. I just said life hitched a ride on the back of a crystal that came here. And he's like, you're not making any sense. And the guy started to get frustrated because he just kept repeating the same thing over and over and over again. They didn't have the answer. But what we look at here is we look at the, the, the comparison between the, the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is about two people. The wise man and the fool. And the wise man is the one that receives the things of the Lord because wisdom is of the Lord. The fool is the one that says there is no God. And the end result that we see is, is that we see that people behave foolishly. They act like they're not going to have to give an account. They act like there's no repercussions. They act like there's, there's nothing that is, is, is ever going to be taken into account. And, and what I love about this passage of scripture is when you get down to verse eight, and I know I'm kind of skipping, Ahead, it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. One of the things that we see about God talking about the, man, the ways of man is he says, I'm going to give you the fruit of your ways over in the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to give you the fruit of your ways. Isn't that a little bit terrifying? Did you get what you deserve? That scares me to death. That's why I need forgiveness of sins. That's why I need that stuff taken care of. That's why I need Jesus Christ, who was the only one that could do that. That, that. that becomes the important part. Do I want to stand in account for everything that I have done and have to make amends for it and pay for it? I can't. There's stuff that I've done I can't. I I can't apologize to people. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't make it right. And praise the Lord that Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross for that. But as we take a look here, he says, but let him ask in faith. There's got to be a believing that God, that, that what we, we just read in the previous verse is true. If you ask God for wisdom and you believe, not wavering, God will give it to you. Right here. 
No, it's not going to be a USB download. You don't have those type of ports. He's not going to sit there and plug a, you know, SSD drive into the back of your skull and automatically download, you know, the three terabytes of wisdom into you. Man, that would be nice though, wouldn't it? Oh man, wouldn't you? I mean, that would be absolutely great, but you know, we'd still find a way to louse it up. We'd still find a way to, 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 to pervert it. We'd still find a way to destroy it because that's what man does. We're really good at just destroying things. I mean, just think about it. We have made war an art form. Some guy even wrote a book about it. The Art of War. And people say, oh, you should read that. I did. I found it mind-numbing. It kind of goes along with the same concept of, of of Charles Darwin and Origin of the Species and uh, the Koran. They just, there was no hope. The art of war was just figuring out a better way to kill somebody. That's not knowledge you need. People are like, oh, well, you can use it in sales. Look, if the salesman's intent is, is he's read the art of war and he's looking to kill me, I think maybe I need to find another place to buy. That's just, yeah, no, let's not do that. But he says, let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let me give you an example of what this is like. You're in the car. You're driving. Your spouse is next to you. The dreaded words uttered. What do you want for dinner? wavering back and forth, like, you know, on the sea being tossed about. What do you think? I don't know. We had Mexican the other day. Well, what do you think about Italian? I don't feel like Italian today. It's too heavy. Well, how about some Chinese? Ooh, Chinese would be good, but that's too far. You know, I mean, you go back and forth, and it's just like, I mean, at the end of it, you don't know where you're going to go. So finally somebody says, okay, hey, there's a Taco Bell. Yeah, that's because that's always good. <laughs> So, I mean, you, 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 you realize there's this, this back and forth mentality and, 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 and it, it, it's, it's like a drunken man staggering around. As he says here, it, it's like being in the sea. You ever been in a boat? And it's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and I'm not talking about a boat in Lackham's Lake where it's fairly calm and peaceful. Well, I'm talking about when you cross the bar and you are in the Pacific Ocean. That thing is nasty. You're going up and you're going down and you're going up and you're going down. I remember Pastor Shanks when he had an opportunity to go down there and he went uh, uh, um, uh, fishing out in the ocean. He got out in the ocean and man alive, he was so excited about going out there. But he got in the ocean and he's just like, he's trying to hold it in desperately. And it's not working. It's not working. And of course, the captain's out there. He's got his sea legs and he's fine with it. And he doesn't have an issue at, at all uh, with it going back and forth. And he's like, are you guys okay? As they're hanging over the side, chumming for fish, <laughs> as they say. And it's just like, man, alive. Some people can do it. Some people can't. As the boat's going back and forth and up and down and front and back, and you're like, you're all over the place. Some of you are like, you know, this is hold off now. But that's what happens when we have unbelief, when we lack faith. We think that God can't do it. And this is a dangerous thing when we start talking about the double-minded man being unstable. I, I, I want you to think about this for a second. As a Christian, our salvation is in Jesus Christ, right? By faith, you believe what God said. That he died on the cross for our sins. 
that he was buried, he rose again the third day, he ascended into heaven, and he's gone to prepare a place for us, and he's coming back. We believe that. We believe that. We believe he's going to come and he's going to call us out of here. We're going to go flying through the air. We're going to get a redeemed body. Uh, it's not going to be filled with scars. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Not going to have to go to hospital anymore. Again, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. No sickness. I'm going to have my missing body parts put back. Thank you. You know, stuff like that. We believe those things. We believe Jonah got swallowed by the whale. Let's think about this. Why do we think that God can't help us with our problem? Because we're still thinking in the flesh. Because we're still asking amiss. Because we still have our will that we're wrestling with. And that's really what the lust is about. Lust is what I want, not what God wants. So here we are looking at this, this situation and we wonder why our Christian life is in upheaval and we wonder why we vacillate back and forth and we wonder why we struggle with certain sins and we can't seem to shake them and so on and so forth. And it comes down to we've got a double mind. We think one way and then we think another way. Could you imagine if your two halves of your brain were not connected the way that God intended them to be? It would be an absolute nightmare. You got one eye wandering over this way and the other eye is going that direction. You got one hand trying to do something over here and it's trying to, you know, cut your, your steak and you're, you're putting it down and, and this one over here decides, oh, I don't want the knife and decides to pick up a spoon and start trying to spoon it into your mouth while you've got the fork down, it, it, you'd be all over the place. We see individuals that have, you know, if you will, unstable minds physically where they suffer from diseases like Parkinson's or MS or lupus or something of that nature that affects the mind and affects their ability to control their body. And here he's saying, this is what happens. We get to a point of where when we don't ask in faith and we're not believing, but we're using the flesh, we're going to be, as he says here, on the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Driven with the wind and tossed. Now over in the book of Ephesians, he, he warns us and he says that we're not supposed to be driven by every wind of doctrine. And isn't it interesting that he compares that? Isn't it also interesting that Jesus Christ says when he talks about the two men that built their house, one built their house upon the rock, the other one built it upon the sand, and he says, when the wind... Not if the wind, when. So let's think about wind as, if you will, as a form of adversity sometimes. And what we begin to realize is that pushes us. What happens when the disciples were out on the sea in the boat and the wind and the waves? They were in adversity. The Bible says they were in jeopardy. There was a problem. So when we realize this and we have don't have the faith and we're not asking God for the wisdom to deal with the situation to help develop the patience in our life, when the wind comes, we are going to get tossed. We're going to get tossed. You ever see somebody get tossed? And physically get tossed. I've seen guys, big bouncer guys, pick up another guy and throw him. They get tossed. 
They get tossed. Picks him up like he's just some sort of rag doll and just chucks him about six feet the other direction. Could you imagine what that would feel like when you come to a rest on the pavement? It's not going to be, it's not, it's not one of those feelings that you, you really want to wake up to or that you want to have to experience in your life. It's, it's, it's violent. It hurts. It's painful. And God says, when we're not exercising faith, in what he has said, we have, we're opening ourselves up for the opportunity for a world of hurt. Now, I, I'm just be honest here. I, every single last one of us here has been hurt. If you're a human being and you haven't been hurt, please write a book and tell us how to do it. Because it, it happens, doesn't it? It happens. But the worst hurt that we do, it doesn't necessarily always come from a loved one, as you know, a lot of people say it does, or a friend or somebody of that nature. It comes from, from us, from ourselves. You ever have that conversation with yourself? Really, are we that stupid? Apparently so. How are we going to get out of this? I don't know, stupid. How did you get into it in the first place? <laughs> well, first, maybe we should stop calling each other stupid. Well, this is what it is, isn't it? Let's just be honest. I mean, you have those conversations. If you don't have those conversations with yourself, well, praise God. Uh, sometimes I do. You sit there and you go, man, what an idiot. Like, How could I be so stupid to do that? But we hurt ourselves, our own consequences. And let's be very, very clear on that. You cannot run away from consequences. No. Bible says you will reap what you sow. And I like the fact that it's talking about good and bad. You plant good things in your life, you'll get good things. You plant bad things in your life, well, guess what? You're going to get something that you don't like. And you're going to have to eat it. But here we see that the Lord clearly is tossing or saying that somebody that is, is, is without faith is going to get, you know, wind blown and tossed. There's no control in their life. We like to control our lives. We like to control every aspect of our lives. But the problem is, is when we lack faith and we don't have the wisdom, because we desired not to have patience and we decided to skip the joy. Well, we're going to wind up like a paper bag in the wind. Look at verse 7 in James chapter 1. He says, For let not a man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So let's stop and think about this for a second. Is God really going to give you what you want? Now let's think. How many times have we been stopped from getting what we want? Because it was good for us. Child comes up and sees something on the the counter and looks at it, says, can I have that? The dad looks down and goes, son, that's a Carolina Reaper chili. No. But dad, I want it. No. Please, can I have it? No. I really want it. No. And then there's the dad that goes, Sure. <laughs> Let's let him experience the consequences. Aren't you glad that God doesn't always do that to you? 
I know that sometimes he does. And sometimes he goes, okay, this is what you want. Go ahead. He did that to the nation of Israel a couple of times. And they were like, yeah, we probably should have done it your way, Lord. Yeah. But here we find that the Lord is saying, if you're going to think that you deserve whatever it is you deserve, but you're in faith believing that God's not capable of doing it or God's not going to do it, that you can do it in your own power, don't even ask. He says here, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Somebody that's wavering back and forth, you think you're going to get something from the Lord? Sometimes when we waver back and forth like that, and, and he's talking about some pretty serious situations here, we miss out on some pretty big blessings. We miss out on some things. And this is exactly what James is saying. He's saying, look, you know, you, you guys are going through some difficult trials. We've gone through some stuff already. Let's just let God do what God does best. Let's just count it joy that we're going through this for the Lord. Let's, let's get some wisdom about these matters. And let's make sure we're believing God and obeying Him and we're doing these things in faith. Because otherwise, are we going to get what, what we want? Are we going to get what we deserve? Are we going to get what's really in God's will for us? We start asking these questions. And it becomes this unsure hope that we start seeing. Because in verse 8, he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, you turn over to chapter 4, and you find that there's another parallel here. <clears throat> in verse 8, he says, draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. God doesn't like that. He doesn't like that doubleness. There's no double standard with him. But we, what are we? We're double-minded because we're double-hearted and double-tongued. And all of those things are bad. Turn over to the book of Psalms. Go over to Psalm 145. Let's take a look at a couple of things about this doubleness here. Psalm 145. Psalm 145, and let's take a look at verse... Um, verse 18. Well, let's back up a little bit here. In verse 17, it says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him and all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth them uh, that love him, but the wicked will he destroy. There we are seeing somebody that just flat out says, and a person that is wicked is, again, along the lines of the fool, is the person that says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm going to do as much sin as I can. They wind up getting destroyed. In the end, you know, everyone stands at the great white throne judgment, and if your name is found in the Lamb's Book of Life, you get to enter. If not, it's like a fire. You're destroyed forever. And ever, and ever. Not a pleasant thought. But God says, look, you, you, you love him, you fear him, you call upon him in truth. Not call upon him in, in, in a, oh, oh, Lord, help me in this situation, and then ten, ten minutes later, uh, forget about him. But what we find is, is we find that the Lord is nigh to them that call. Just like he says, he'll draw nigh to us. If we are willing to draw nigh to him. 
And, and there, there's one of the biggest questions that people have is, or th- that I have for people is, are you willing to say, I'm going to get closer to the Lord? People make a mess of their lives constantly. Um, and, you know, I've made some pretty grievous errors in my past, but, but I'll, you know, I'll say this. At some point in time, when you repent and you turn to God, instead of following after those things, you're drawing nigh to Him. And it's a so much more pleasant path. But we find very clearly he talks about, you know, more, more this, uh, uh, doubleness. I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73. Drawing nigh to him. Psalm chapter 73. And let's take a look at verse, uh, 28 here. It says, but it is good for me to draw near to God. For I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. So what we have here is we have somebody that is cleansing themselves. Somebody whose heart is now declaring what God has done, not what they've done. We always want to talk about our accomplishments. Today I got an email from work that talks about we've got to go on to this new HR thing and we have to populate all of these things about our skills and what we're capable of doing and you know just again kind of like talking ourselves up and I'm just sitting there going oh because if there's one thing I hate is writing a resume I hate I hate it because it's just like what it's talking about who I am and what I've done and boasting on me I'll say praise God the Lord has been very gracious to me and he just gives me jobs this says here, here to take this one. Here, take that one. So I don't have to write resumes. Thank God. I haven't had to write a resume in the last 20 something years. Praise the Lord for that. Cause I hate writing them. I hated writing them when I got laid off. I hated writing them when I, uh, uh, was looking for jobs. I hated it. But here it says, it's good for me to draw near to God. It's not evil. It's not evil. We gravitate towards the things that are good. I mean, if you have a choice between good food or bad food, what do you typically get on to eat? The good food. Now, I'm not talking about good for you, like, you know, oh, Brussels sprouts are good for you. <laughs> evil little things. Uh, you know, green beans, you know, they're good for you. And I'm like, no, 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 we'll skip those. Squeak, sorry. No, I'm not talking about good for you food. I'm talking about food that's good. Food you enjoy. Would you rather have a perfectly cooked, and maybe you're not a steak person, a perfectly cooked ribeye steak, just, I mean, just grilled to perfection, just the way you like it, or an overdone hamburger with a stale bun, limp lettuce, and way too much mayo. Who's going for the latter? Who, who's going for the former? Who's going for the say in the steak? I'm going to I'm going to take the steak. I mean, unless you're a mayo fan. Yeah. I'm just again. We're going to go for what's good. So why aren't we going towards God? He's so good for us. He says here that it's good. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm not going to waver. I'm not. And the one way that we don't waver is to continually have our mouth filled with praise to him and thankfulness to him for what he's done for us. We keep that in our mouths rather than the other stuff that comes out. And the only way that we can keep that in our mouth is to make sure that that's what our heart is fixed upon. What our heart desires, what our heart wants. Turn over to the book of Hebrews. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 10 real quick. Hebrews chapter 10. 
again talking about drawing nigh unto God and the doubledness. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So who's the one here that's faithful? God. Man has a hard time being faithful. We have a hard time being faithful to even some of our own restaurants that we like. I mean, there might be some good food that we enjoy, and then all of a sudden we go to, somebody invites us to another place, and then all of a sudden we find they cook a better steak. All of a sudden, what do we do? We don't go to that place that much anymore. We go to the one place that we really like. We're not faithful. Not faithful to car brands. We're not faithful to, uh, you know, whatever it is. Not, I mean, trying to find people that are loyal and work and faithful and work. Good grief. I'm sitting there looking at the stuff, you know, from human resources and these people, and they've got, you know, you're, you're hiring somebody, and they've got six months on the job for the last five jobs. You're like, well, do you have any more work experience? Yeah. With anything longer than six months? Not really. Eh. Yeah, I... I know this is this is odd. I know I'm a lifer. I've been with the company uh, in May. It'll be 24 years. People are like, "You're old." <laughs> Praise God! Yeah, man. They've, they've gone to to, to 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 referring to me now as the encyclopedia. Because I've got so much knowledge. I, I know where the bodies are hid. That's the issue. <laughs> I know I know what's going on in that. You can't find people loyal. I mean, there's this whole concept of day workers now. They go into Taco Bell, they work for a day, and then they leave. I'm not kidding. It's a real thing. And the management goes, okay, yeah, we'll take it. Why? Because they're desperate for workers. Because all of a sudden COVID hit and you know, the, you know what the worst symptom of COVID is? Indifference. Lack of care. All of a sudden nobody wanted to work anymore. And it's like all of our workers disappeared. But here we see that he says, let's hold fast to something. Let's hold fast to the profession of faith. Are you here today and you're, you can say that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Amen. Hold fast to that profession. Don't let the devil convince you otherwise. Don't let a person convince you otherwise. Don't let yourself convince you otherwise. I've wrestled with eternal security. You want to talk about a boat on a sea wavering back and forth? Oh, God, I hope I'm saved. Please, please, please save me. Oh, whew, I did it. Oh, now, 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 now I got assurance. Yeah, oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wake up the next day. Oh, God, please save me. Yeah, that's tough. But here he's making it very clear. He's saying he's faithful. Aren't you glad he's faithful that he promised to keep our salvation, not you? We can't even keep track of our car keys or our glasses or our cell phone. We need trackers for our cell phone so we know where our cell phone is. We can't even keep track of our spouses. We turn them loose in the wild out there and we don't know where they are. Praise God for Life 360. Where is she? I'm getting closer to her in the Costco. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> yeah, she is. She can hide behind those aisles, you know. 
can't even keep track of that. I'm going down through. I'm going through Costco, and I'm like, you know, I just want to get stuff done. You know, and not spend a lot of time there. You know, and just you, you go in, you get your stuff, and you go. Right? You don't necessarily need to look around. Hey, I'll, I'll go in there and turn around. She isn't behind me anymore. She's gone. I don't know where she is. Then I gotta go backtrack through half a Costco looking for her. And I find she's still over there in like the cooking aisle. She got caught up with a cut going knife guy again, you know? Whatever it may be. <laughs> but we can't even keep track. Aren't you glad that God is the one that is absolutely 100% faithful, keeps track of everything for us? When it comes to our salvation. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. But he says, let's draw near with a true heart and full assurance. And a lot of times what we wrestle with with is the assurance of faith. Do we really believe? Now, this is why James becomes so important, because here we are looking at this passage, and he's talking about people that have been scattered, people that are, as I said, in derision, people that are are, are in some trouble, uh, having to uproot themselves because of persecution. Because people hate them. And people have always hated the Jews. The other day, did you see that mess in the airport where they thought a aircraft was landing that had some people that were fleeing Israel and they were in there and they were running around looking for the Jews. They wanted to get all the Jews and get them out of there in an airport. Now, it was in Russia, but it was crazy. Absolutely insane. And here they are, you know, obviously Jewish individuals that have been persecuted. Now they're scattered abroad. They are scattered abroad because of their own sin. God said he was going to do that if they did not listen and they did not obey. And God followed through. And here they are and they're going through some stuff. And here's the problem with that. You know, sometimes the sin of the nation drags the good with it. I'm sure there were good people that got caught up in that. I'm sure there were people that loved the Lord that got caught up in that. Well, how do you know? Ezekiel and Daniel, to name two. Where were they? In captivity. You know what that means? They couldn't leave. Even if they wanted to. But we find here, there they are going through all this. And what is James trying to say? Look, you're either going to believe God and you're going to have a stable lifestyle, stable way, or you're not. You think about that when it talks about ways and it talks about, uh, um, and we'll get into this a little bit more maybe next week as we start talking, getting into this uh, next part where we he starts talking about the wrestle between physical things and spiritual things as he talks about the rich man and the one that wants all of this stuff and the lusting and the things that go on. But he talks about the word ways. Ways is a, is a word that appears many times in Scripture, especially when it talks about God. It talks about God's ways. It talks about the ways of man. And we think about that. What's a way? If you were to ask me, where is Seattle? I would say it's that way. Well, how do I get there? You want a path? Go I-5. Can you give me directions? Absolutely. I can tell you exactly which exits to get on and to get off of to get to downtown Seattle. To get where you want to go. I can say it's that general direction. I can give you the the path that you need to travel, and I can give you the specific directions about how to go. And you know what? That's the way God's word works with us. He tells us, I want you to go this certain direction, and I'm going to give you a path and a roadway which I want you to take. And I'll tell you when to turn and when to stop and when to go this 
you know, take this fork in the road or that fork in the road. I will give you the specific directions, just like GPS. Better than GPS. The GPS will lead you into a lake. The Lord won't do that. It's when we think we know a shortcut that we wind up in the lake. But God says, I'm going to give you that. And what happens is, is as that double-minded man begins to walk on that walk a path, he's trying to walk in the ways of the Lord. He's going to be stumbling. He's going to be falling. He's going to trip up because he's going to wind up receiving the fruit of his own ways because he's still wanting what he wants and he is not fully surrendered to the Lord. There's something that's still holding him back. And next week we'll get into this a little bit more where we start talking about position. We start talking about physical things uh, such as riches in this life. And he starts talking about all of these things to clearly understand when we become more concerned about that, we are double-minded. Now, that's a hard thing because we want to do a good job for the Lord, don't we? Absolutely. But you remember, promotion is of the Lord is what Scripture says. I'll give you this testimony just briefly, and then we'll end. The job that I have now, starting with a company, I had uh, been laid off from another job. I had started trying to uh, to do some uh, photography work, which is an actual area of study in, in college, I know. Uh, it's kind of surprising, and I thought, well, okay, well, I can try this, and I wound up getting into a huge auto accident with that, and that's you know a whole other testimony in its own right. I uh, was out of work for a little bit uh, because of work comp, because it happened on the job. Uh, and uh, I just hated sitting around doing nothing at the home. And my wife said, hey, they're hiring for a position. And that the general manager was there, and he knew a little bit about me because she had talked about it. And he said, hey, can you have him come in? He came in, got the job almost on the spot, um, started working. Uh, within a couple of weeks, uh, they put me as lead of the department. Within a couple of months, I had another department that was under my, uh, um, you know, uh, management. And then they started adding more and more employees. And I'm like, I'm not management. But they just kept adding people to me to be over. I wasn't seeking any of that. I wasn't seeking any of that. But you know what the Lord did in his timing? You're going to do this now. 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 I left it up to the Lord. And then I, one time I went to the regional vice president and heard there was a position that was open in Portland. And we had wanted to move from the Seattle area back down to here, to Vancouver, Portland area, and uh, went went to the regional vice president and I said, hey, I'd just like to throw my hat in the ring for, you know, for that position. What do I need to do? And he just looks at me and he goes, man, I've been struggling with this thing uh, for, you know, for the whole week. He says, the job's yours. I'm like, uh, I said, can I get a couple of days to think about it? <laughs> and he's like, oh, sure, I guess. And the Lord has done that all along the way. I'm not seeking any of that promotion. The Lord does it. You know what I do? I be faithful to what He has said. I believe it. And I simply obey. God takes care of the rest. Well, maybe I'm not going to get that promotion. Maybe you don't need it. Maybe it's not going to be good for you. Maybe it will. But the question is, have you drawn nigh to the Lord about it and gone to Him and say, Lord, is this Your will? What do You want me to do? 
do you approach it and say, Lord, give me wisdom in this. And I'm willing to wait and be patient for the answer. I'm not going to rush you. Such a, it's such a joy when stuff like that happens. I know I'm out of time, but let's go ahead and go to uh, the Lord in prayer, and we'll go ahead and close tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for what you've given to us in your word. Pray, Lord, that we would just continue to learn from these passages, learn some of these applications. And Lord, learn that uh, people have gone through some of these things before, and Lord, you've preserved this for us so that we may learn of those things, learn of those ways in which you want us to walk and the, the desired paths that we should be in. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to increase our faith, that Lord, you'd work on us when it comes to patience, that Lord, we would seek after that wisdom and Lord, we'd find joy only by drawing nigh to you. Thank you again for all that you've given to us and pray you take us home safely tonight. And this I ask, Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.